you're listening to the Dopos podcast, Adam Doe here. Dopos friend, Ben Mullen is back. We're going to talk election, other things too. So Ben and I are watching the election. We're probably watching different places, but same numbers, same numbers. Um, Georgia and Pennsylvania flipped last night, early this morning. They found some ballots. For Joe Biden. They counted ballots. They counted ballots. Um, This is only my second election, but Ben, this is probably your third, fourth election you've watched? As far as like paying attention to it, it'd be the third. Like I, the first election I remember watching was Carrie, but like I, because we, my school did, you know, they, they let all the elementary kids vote every time. And the Bush v. Gore election, like I was in kindergarten, so the kindergartners didn't vote, but everybody else did. And Bush got 100% of the vote. And so the next time it came around, I was like, oh, I'm going to vote Kerry because literally nobody else is going to do it. Like I, I didn't know anything. And so I just voted Kerry to be contrarian. And I think Bush won that one 99%. Uh, and so I kind of paid attention to that one just to see if I was going to end up being right. Um, not really with any other interest in it. And yeah, Mock the first Obama election, the first Obama election, I didn't pay much of attention to any of it other than like, that was the first time I started to kind of try to understand the people. Cause as soon as Sarah Palin got involved, I was like, okay, this is weird this person is like clearly dumber than middle school me and she might be vice president and then the next election i followed fairly closely because that was the first one i could actually vote in yeah i think ever since i was a kid if when i realized like oh, i'm not going to be able to vote for like the next 10 years there's probably no point in, in paying attention to the election but to be fair twitter wasn't invented then so much easier to just stay away from the whole event. That's the thing. Like it, it's, you know, it, it, it's so different with Twitter, but it's also like, I'm, I'm so used to it now that like, I wouldn't even be able to say like what has changed in the way that I consume stuff just because I wasn't plugged in before. My first election was 2016. First time voted first, uh, paid close attention to, until until my candidate lost and and can see it that's when that's when i stopped watching and i was like what the heck is going on but then that was that was 2016 naive adam doe as a voter for the for you there uh totally unaware of how the country actually is um in elections well that's okay uh, because everybody is unaware of how the country actually is apparently apparently ben california is not like other states in the country um, you know, I'm hearing, that, I'm hearing that more and more. Many people are saying California is not like other states. Yeah. So 2016 was a surprise. I remember the day after the election, I was just like terrible. I was feeling terrible. But then like, I don't know. Is it, do you, is that, you know, was that dissimilar for you in your first election where, uh, I don't know if your candidate won or not in your first one, but you know, you, you, you're that, a little yeah, excited. Because my, my, my first one was, was Obama 2012 and I voted for him, but like that was also like my first month of college. Oh. So I had a lot of other things going on that I cared about a lot more than the presidential election. And that one also like, because that, that, that was also the first time I started following Nate Silver back mm-hmm. when, you know, you could kind of reliably understand what people were thinking and they weren't, you know, trying to hide what their like 
political beliefs were as much. And he got all 50 states and like it went exactly like the prediction that I'd read. And so it was just, okay, it, everything happened according to plan. And now we're moving on. Cause that was also like, no, like Senate or house stuff at all back then. Like I just didn't know anything about it or like what the mechanisms were and why it was important and everything. And so like all of the interesting stuff from that, I just wasn't paying attention to. I think you're a little excited in your first time voting. And so if your candidate doesn't win, you think the world's going to like going to be a disaster. Everything's going to be going to fail. That's why yeah. either that, either that, or you're, you're just, um, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's how it is. Like you're, you're just really excited because it's your first time and you don't really, you know, maybe it's probably your first time ever looking and uh, watching the news and just f- figuring out what's going on. And so you buy too much into you put too much weight on, on who, who becomes president, I think. Yeah, I think one, one thing that's going to be lasting from 2016 is like I, my, my like philosophy of voting has completely changed where I do it now because it's like voting for me is like the Olympics. Like I go to do like the ritual and it's, you know, just fun to go sit in the line and then, you know, push the touch screen. Like it's, it's just like a, you know, it's a neat thing that we get to do in this country. But like the county that I've voted in two out of the last three times went, I think this time it's like 79% Trump. So, you know, it's not like the vote. Well, it's not like anybody's vote matters, but mine especially does not. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've learned something I've seen between me and my sister. This is her first time voting. I, I see a lot of myself in her like four years ago just the excitement and like the potential disappointment if her candidate lost, but also the whole issue of like people that vote for Trump, but then putting all of them into like the stereotype of them, you know, being, you know, dumb or being racist or whatever. And I see, I, I can see myself that that's how I was thinking back then. But then you realize that like Twitter and social media really puts too much weight in that stereotype and then you realize, like, not everybody that voted for Trump is is uh, dumb. And I don't. I think this time around, I think we have, you know, sixty nine million people that have just self identified as psychopaths. Because like be outs- outside of people that are, are just you know victims of misinformation campaigns. I mean, good lord. But you know, all all of this is my the only political issue that like. I put way above anything else is just public education. And, you know, this is what happens when you have 30 or 40 years of not teaching critical thinking skills. That's, you know, that's how you end up like this. That's why local races matter. Yeah. That's another thing. I wish, I wish people will understand that sometimes the Senate races could be a lot more important than, than, you know, who's president could be. Um, and certain Senate races, like I, I've, you know, now, now that it seems like it's in the bag for Biden, I've like shifted to just being mad at the Dems again for, you know, oh, we're going to try to beat Mitch McConnell and give, you know, millions and millions of dollars to Amy McGrath. There are 10 House races that they could have won with that money. And now the House is going to be close. And I mean, the, the Georgia Senate runoff in January is going to be nuts. Georgia doesn't even have a like minimum residency requirement to register for voting. 
and so you know the the game to win that is just going to be get as many people to move to Georgia for three days as you can. But how does that work? Um, that's actually a very good question. I think that the runoff is just whoever. I think you still have to get majority, but it's only the top two candidates. And so somebody, you know, unless it's literally a tie, somebody will get majority. So do they do like a or at least in Georgia? Or? Yeah, it, it'll it'll be a different election, and that like the Georgia ones will will turn on turnout uh, because runoffs in Georgia traditionally have like seventy to seventy five percent of the turnout of the presidential election, but this one might be higher because it, it will literally be for the Senate. There are so many states, so many counties that are important right now. And Lindsey Graham today started talking about the national debt, which is something that everybody is going to just be bombarded with for the next four years is Republicans remembering that the national debt exists. I saw an interview between Ted Cruz and Jonathan Swan from Axios, and he brought up the national debt thing. Oh, um, yeah. It was interesting to watch. Just interesting. It, it's the, the national debt thing is it's just such a sucker play. Like it, it's, it's so shameless. Like that's not real. Like we're, we're the United States of America. Like we have capital that is not just money. And that capital is we're the United States of America. Like, what are you going to do? Seize our assets. That's literally an act of war. Swan was making the point that Cruz has been at least consistent in saying that he doesn't, you know, want the debt to go up, but his party overall, they tend to ignore the debt when a Republican is in the White House, but when a Democrat is in the White House, they, you know, use it as a talking point. Yeah. And they, I mean, it, it's, yeah, na na national debt is just, it, it's just so stupid. Like, it, it's so dumb to devote like a single second to talking about that. Because it's, you know, the, the components of what goes into that number is so much more important. And, you know, it, it's so susceptible to change and, you know, just doesn't. It's, it's like looking at GDP. Like, it just doesn't tell you anything on its own. I've been binging CNN for the past couple of days, if that's even possible to say. Um, I, I, my, my John King impression is pretty spot on. And I'm, I'm also, <laughs> I also have, I also have like, the production of CNN and their election coverage down to a science, Ben. I know exactly when John King and Wolf Blitzer sub out and their bench reporters come in. I, I imagine that they just take John King and put him in like a LeBron cryo chamber as soon as he walks off the set. There was an LA Times report yesterday that's, that's, you know, they interviewed or John King just gave them some answers and he said he, had, he has, he's been sleeping six and a half hours for like in two days from Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So Wednesday, Thursday, basically, I guess six and a half hours. And I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly on election night, it got into the morning. Um, he was still. Um, in the studio at like three in the morning Eastern time. So he, he went back to sleep and then he came back the next day at about 11 a.m. Eastern time, if I'm getting it right. Mm -hmm. um, Wednesday and Thursday, they, they I, I think they, they realized that like the election wasn't going to be 
called. So then they sent their starting people home about like 10, 11 Eastern. And then they came back the next day at, you know, 9 a.m. Eastern. That's, that's, that's this, their schedule. Uh, I li- also like to note for some reason, they like, they like having Wolf Blitzer standing right next to John King when they talk. But if it's Anderson Cooper, <laughs> if it's it, Anderson Cooper comes on before Wolf Blitzer, but for some reason they, they have Anderson on a camera and they don't have Anderson standing next to John King. I don't know why. Does it just not look as the way they want to? Or is it because Anderson has to cover like the desk and also have to talk to John King? I don't know. This is, Something this is incredible. I know. <laughs> just breaking it down. <laughs> I know. That's like, yeah, there needs to be like a CNN for covering CNN and you can be the anchor. For some reason, uh, Chris Cuomo, let me know if I'm getting the Cuomos wrong because I just realized that there are two Cuomos and yeah. one of them is, no, is Chris, a new Chris is Chris is like the, the male bimbo that's on television. I love that so, dude. He rocks. So Chris Cuomo, Cuomo and then the other guy's name is Phil, I think, who comes in for John King late in the night. Their, their setup is just weird and it's just not as fun to watch as John King and Wolf Blitzer, but Chris Cuomo loves to like interject with uh, their their uh, their guy Phil at the magic wall, and then it's just like annoying to watch. And that's that's a sign for you to tune out and just go to sleep. You know, um, I, I will say like maybe the best thing about the pandemic is that election coverage isn't fifteen people sitting at a single like thirty foot table. Yeah, that was just awful last time. Now you have like everybody's like calling John Ralston and he's holding his phone and it's shaking and it, it's so much better. Honestly, I, I just, I just mute CNN when they just have their commentators speaking because I just, they're just, they're just commentating and giving their opinions and it's, on like everybody that's not like doing, you know, actual like vote counting or reporting is just trying to get a better job. Like Kaylee McEnany was on CNN's coverage last time. Yeah. And so I guess that worked out. I much prefer John King giving me the straight up analysis of which states uh, both candidates have to win or they can't afford to lose. I like that. I like that kind of content. Um, magic wall. I love the magic wall. I am entranced by the magic wall of CNN, Ben. Oh, by the way, they take away one magic wall after John King leaves and his, <laughs> the substitute comes in, by the way. I noticed that. Other people didn't, but I did. <laughs> He's the only one that's like a high enough level to use another one. <laughs> John, it's like it's like John King is like is a professor, you know. And w- once they fill up one board, they go up to the next board to, to yeah, start writing the, on the that. The whiteboards that like slide up and down. Yeah, but these are like millions of dollars, probably. Dude, I I want one of those so bad. Just like the the hundred inch touchscreen TV. Like every time I watch like inside the NBA or an NFL show and there's somebody up drawing on that, like that looks like so much fun. I know. John King has the data from all 50 states of the United States um, and their voting data and data from each county in those states, which could be like 67 counties, all at John King's disposal then. And he can write on it too with his finger. I'm hoping next election we get like a VR app where you can just sit there and watch John King work. 
I've watched so much John King the past couple of days where I pick up every single stutter he makes, but then I realize to myself he's not sleeping. So he's still doing like really, really well. Yeah, it's like people are just putting in so much work right now. Like I think the Hassan Piker stream on election day, I think he did 16 straight hours. And then the last couple of days, I think he's done like 12 or 13. Do you, so today is Friday uh, morning Pacific, 1047 in the morning. Do you think the race will be called today by the end of today? I mean, I, I think so. It should have been called probably yesterday, definitely by now. Like, I, I don't know what the holdup is. Like yesterday, I think uh, Jonathan Martin from the New York Times reported that he'd heard from people at Fox that they were going to call Pennsylvania as soon as the lead flipped, but they haven't. Uh, but, you know, also this morning, like a Fox News memo leaked where they were telling their anchors to not call Biden president-elect once he actually is declared. So I think somebody, Rupert Murdoch, has kind of stepped in on that stuff. But, yeah, like, it, I mean, it literally could be called any moment. 96% in for Pennsylvania, 13,000 ahead for Biden. Still, they have, I think, one of their senators interviewing or speaking right now, but... Uh, one of the guys I, I really liked that I saw yesterday was, uh, I think his name is John Fetterman. He's the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. And he's just has like the broadest shoulders ever. Like he looks like a Pittsburgh Steeler. And he used to weigh like 350 pounds. Now he's lost a lot of weight. And so he's just this massive frame. And he was on one of the networks just explaining kind of the frivolity of the lawsuits that are being filed right now. And he just kept saying, you know, well, you can sue a ham sandwich. Which is true. You you can literally sue a ham sandwich. Yeah, nothing from any of the legal cases that the Trump campaign has submitted will have much effect on the election that we oh, know of dude, so it, far. It's so great. Like the the Bush team, like the John Baker team, like Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Roberts were all on that team, like on the lower levels. They literally had three Supreme court justices on their legal team that weren't like close to the leadership level. And this one is Rudy Giuliani, Pam Bondi and Eric Trump. Like they, the, the, I think the Michigan lawsuit, they didn't call the right party to court. They didn't plead proper relief. And then they missed like six other procedural things and also offered no evidence that wasn't hearsay. Like every section and subheading was entirely wrong. And it's not that hard to just lie and have a coherent legal argument that like you have to move on to the next level, but it was just so obviously bad that they could immediately throw it out. I'm going to take your, I'm going to take Ben's words here since he is a graduated law student and waiting to uh, be permitted into the bar. This is true. Which is great because like nobody knows more about the like little procedural stuff than people that just took the bar because once you're an attorney, that all just leaves your brain and then you look it up whenever you need it. I saw a video of uh, Justice Breyer explaining the process to like some college students at Harvard. And he was saying that like, like you actually want Law, law students that are, are, are law clerks to be reading the majority of the stuff because they're going to, you know, read in detail everything and they're probably going to get 
uh, decisions or uh, get the decisions right more than the justices just because the, of that separation from law school. Yeah, because like law school is just like a constant like feedback loop of when you're reading cases because like you're you're reading in an average week, I don't know, like 50 cases or so. And like once a paragraph, it's, oh, I have no idea what that word means. Let me get out the legal dictionary or thankfully now the law dictionary app. Like people who went to law school before the internet, that is a completely different breed of human in terms of work ethic. Like they would have to get a dictionary that's like this thick to look up Latin words five times a case. And now just, you know, type it in as easy as like dictionary.com. And, you know, you get to, they cite a case and you don't understand why they're citing it. And you just end up going all the way down the rabbit hole. So like reading one of those 50 cases a week, you end up having to understand like 10 more. And it's just, you know, you just get like the muscle memory of how to drill down on that stuff and understand like the root cause of what the law is in that area. And, you know, judges just have so much more to worry about with being managerial and caseloads and keeping people happy. I uh, mentioned to you that I took the night off from Twitter for election night and it was wonderful. It was lovely. Um, Now that I think about Twitter, it's really just depending on how many people you follow could be like thousands of people that you're following and they're just all shouting their opinions and thoughts at you at once. It's kind of a lot. It takes a, takes a toll on your brain. I, I, I found. So when you turn that off, it's just so much better. Yeah. Every time I get on Twitter, like my rule of thumb is I want to unfollow or mute at least three people. Like every time I click on the, the tab on my computer, just cause like I, I've been on Twitter for, I don't know, like I think nine years now. And so I've just accumulated all these things that I don't really care about anymore or aren't relevant. And, you know, a lot of stuff that I might want to look that up at some point, but if I need to know that, then I'll just go, you know, find that person's account and read up on it. I don't need it in real time. We're basically Twitter veterans, Ben. According to NBA standards, Dude, I am, we're, we're, we're yeah, due I'm, for I, I have to be at least like a colonel in being online. I've also been thinking about this. And every time you read something that seems bad and it's from someone like, you know, your age, they don't look, their account doesn't look crazy. They look like an honest person. But then when, you, when they, when they say, if I'm not talking like a reporter, I'm talking just like a normal person. Mm-hmm. But then when they give their thoughts on something, um, people can be really good writers, I think. And they could write it, write, write something that happened in a way where it just looks terrible. And then I found myself like I could, I could read something and then I could like panic inside, even though it's not like they, they could be like misleading. They could be. And the point here is that I think if you're on Twitter a lot, you're going to weight some of the tweets that you read a little too heavily, I think. Yeah, so, I think I see what you're saying. Like when I when I scroll through, like I'll just go like really fast. And I, I don't know, like I, I have just like a built-in mechanism now where, you know, something tells me, okay, stop here and read this. Like I'm not even reading the names or anything. I think a lot of it is just profile pictures and like my eyes see a color and just stops because I, you know, kind of recognize who that would be. 
Yeah. And, so you know, there, there are accounts that like I will just immediately scroll past and not even think about it. Speaking of register. pictures and videos, like let's say you're you're a Biden supporter and then you you're this is your first time really watching the news and you're scrolling and then you see a video of like a Trump protest somewhere in the middle of nowhere in the country. But then when you see that like five times, there are people out there who would come to the conclusion that like they're going crazy. Like there's thousands of people, there's millions of people protesting the election for Trump. But then it's just not, it's probably not, not right. That's a, you no. know, that's, th- this is, this is, you know, why public education is so important is one of the fundamental misunderstandings that people tend to have here is just not grasping how many people 350 million is. Like you can see a thousand of something that's still nothing. You can just see it now. Like you don't have to physically get in your car and drive there to see it. Like that doesn't mean that it's more prevalent. My dad, this is a, you know how Bill Simmons has a parent, parent corner or something like that. Mm-hmm. This is, this is family corner with Adam Doe here. Um, I don't know. My there's, we, I'm in a, this is the evolution of my, my extended family and our communication. Okay. I'd say first it started with email before texting. That took a while for the older people to get accustomed to. But once they got, yeah, so I don't old, think I've ever just like sent an email to somebody I know just to like talk to them. When I was, when I was a kid, I was out of this, out of the, 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 the circles, the communication circles. But then when I got email and the older uncles got my email, they just started emailing stuff to me. I bet uncle email is a very, just like magical place. It's, it's, that's like sometimes I, I wish just, I had, I wish I had Uncle email. Like I would sign up for that service. Sometimes they just send me. Well, they used to email me like just Vietnamese articles that I can't read. You know. So my my guess is they they found the 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 send to all button and they just went to that. They just went that at that hard. Um, so this was the email stage, but then we moved on to texting and we moved on to iMessage. So then uh, there's an uncle in the family that uh, he just, he's retired. He's pretty old, got a lot of time on his hands. So he used to just send text messages to all the numbers in the, the Doe family. Um, the problem is not all of us have iPhones. So the, the limit is just 20 people for the text message. But then apparently every time he texts, he wants to send a text, he my guess is he clicks the names one by one by one. So then he'll end up eventually missing people because there's more than 20 people in the family <laughs> with, with phones. So there's, there's different text chains <laughs> happening. We've moved on from this stage, but this, this was the big, big part of our, our of, of our history in the Doe family. So, but the worst part is unlike if you were texting 19 other people on Apple, you could, um, you could just like remove yourself from the group chat, <laughs> but since people, some people had, had Android, you can't remove yourself from the, the chat. If they have your, if they have your number, you're locked in for life until they stop. So, um, yeah, sometimes they've just, my, my family, the older people really, they, they just send in their political thoughts and, uh, 
let me tell you, they, they, they definitely fit with the standards of our, the, the typical Trump supporter there. It's, it, it fits with them there. That's what some of my family members are. Um, See, that's like one, one of the great failings of like leftist media is not giving old people the entryway to being online. Like it's so easy to go from Fox news to just being a part of a thousand Facebook groups, but there's not anything equivalent like that on the other side. And so like the online old people just end up being right wing. Like there, there's nothing like if, if you're, just sitting around in front of the television, like watching your soaps all day. There's nothing that the libs are giving you. That's like even 1% as exciting as Hillary Clinton is eating the bone marrow of children. Like not, there's nothing that that's, that's like nearly as fun as that. Cause that's awesome stuff. I, you know, I, I, I get why you would want to get online for that. Have you seen the social dilemma on Netflix? I haven't, but I've read a little bit about it. Uh, but I did, I listened to a, uh, like a two hour podcast that was, it was Matt Taibbi and a guy that worked at, let's see, he'd worked at Goldman and then he worked at Facebook for like the two years before they went public and like two or three years after they went public. And he walked through a lot of that stuff. And it was really interesting hearing from somebody that, actually was there when everything was kind of being decided and they were laying out, you know, where, where the desks are going to be and how close everybody is to Zuck and what the order of importance of things is. But then he left and wrote a book about how dumb big tech is and has been totally ostracized. So he can just speak his mind. Might be the same person that that created social dilemma. I don't, I don't remember it, but social dilemma on Netflix is just, a collection of people that worked on like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google, um, plenty of other social media places, but they all ended up quitting. And then the, the documentary is just them explaining why they quit and the problems and the real issues that social media is causing. And then a cool part about this documentary is that they actually made a short movie. That's like, that plays along uh, as you watch the documentary and the movie is kind of just like dramatizing the the points that these people are making about how social media is affecting people's um, lives and affecting how they think. Um, so it's really cool. the The guy that played who's the 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 prick in in Mad Men the the really young guy. Uh, Pete. Is that his Pete, name? Pete Campbell. Pete Campbell. Yeah. So the actor, he makes a, a, a little appearance in the, the short movie that they play. And it's just like a, it's, it's a cool sci-fi dramatiz- uh, dr- uh, dramatiz- dramatization of the points that they make about social media. So which is cool. But, that sounds uh, good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, have to, I'll have to add that to the list. The, my point here is that like sometimes I, I, I check my dad's Facebook and then I saw one I saw one one post that he shared and it was actually flagged by Facebook as like being misleading and about the election and whatever. Uh, anyways, uh, back to the evolution of the Doe family uh, communication circles oh, here. Quick quick note on that as as an actual informative uh, piece of information, uh, the claims of big tech suppressing Republicans keep in mind that I don't know what it was this week or last week, but two weeks ago of the top 10 most engaged with so shared or liked Facebook posts, 
nine of them were Dan Bongino. And Ben Shapiro does bigger numbers than any, like literally any entity on the left on Facebook. So when they talk about censorship, keep that in mind. Well, I'm glad to report that the Doe family has now moved on to WhatsApp, Ben. And oh WhatsApp, as we know, has a has a do not disturb feature. Uh, so I just turned off all my notifications for WhatsApp and <laughs> it's just so much better. Nothing's worse than, than, you know, giving your number to someone and then them just like having nonstop access to you forever and you can't do anything about it. So... This is you need to publish like a weekly Doe family newsletter. Things are things are going well, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure they they've uh, the it's mostly just the older people that are that don't have anything to do, so that's why they're they're just sending messages to the what's the WhatsApp group, and it's like a lot of pictures of their their kids, which is cool, but it's like you know, I don't know, is it a little if if they were just texting me it, it's like. I didn't. I didn't give you my number just to get like nonstop updates of, of pictures of your kids. But I said we need to reintroduce old people to books. Old people used to love books. Anyways, it's 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 all good. It's all good. I just have notifications turned off for WhatsApp. I I just check it whenever I feel like it. Um, but since there's probably gonna not gonna be any family events in the near future, won't have to check on that as much. Yeah, I, I miss family events. There for a while, it was kind of fun, but I don't know. I miss just seeing people. Like I, I went to an MTSU football game a couple weeks ago, and like after an hour of being there, it was just like a wave came over me. It was like, oh yeah, people. There are thousands of people where I'm at. That's weird. Biden's up in Georgia, fifteen fifty-three. Up in Pennsylvania, thirteen thousand two hundred twenty. Up in Nevada, twenty thousand. Up in Arizona, by forty three thousand. Ben just put his hand up, and I'm guessing his thought is, "Why isn't no, no, anyone my, calling my this yet?" Dropped there for like a half a second. Yeah, but uh, no, that is. I mean, I, we're you know, the Doe Post has called it. You know, let let it be known that the Doe Post was ahead of big media. Uh, hold on a second there. Hold on a second there. I, I, I'm still, I don't feel that that good enough to call As the it the election yet, correspondent, I can confirm that, that Adam Doe of the Doe Post has called it. Um, as a staff of one at the Doe Post, I am automatically the, the lead national correspondent and I ha- also the lead analyst. That's my so, boss. Yeah. So on I'm this not, episode. don't feel good calling it yet, but things are looking not good for the Trump campaign. Yeah, I mean the I don't I don't think anything as far as like being inundated with this stuff gets wrapped up until after electors have cast their votes. Um because we do still have the electoral college unfortunately and that'll be like I don't know 6 weeks from now. So I know that Wisconsin is one of the states where they have like automatic checking procedures. I think all of them have automatic checking procedures that they do of all votes if it's close. Um, but then in Wisconsin, Georgia doesn't have a mandatory recount, but 
their secretary of state already said that they would be recounting. And I think if it's within like half a percent, then they will recount. It's just not like legislatively an automatic thing, but yeah, any, anywhere that's close, we're going to recount, but recounts don't like, like that's, that's not a thing that matters. I I think they recounted Wisconsin last time and it changed 181 votes statewide. Like it's, you know, it counting is not that hard. Like we're, we're, pretty good at counting i've heard some states are you have to be less than one percent difference or yeah, less a, than a lot of 0. states 0.5. less than one percent or yeah less than half half a percent then um in nba news so yesterday they the owners just uh well not really the owners but the players association just voted to confirm next season happening 72 games december twenty. 20- third 23rd or 22nd start um ending in may regular season and then the finals could go all the way to july depending yeah i I like saw a headline for that and that was pretty much all i got like i i didn't i don't even think i like read the whole thing so that's good news great job prospects for me ben um if if fans are allowed into staples then i'll probably be getting my job back with the clippers excellent yeah that'll be man it's so weird to have basketball just end and it's already like i'm already in basketball's almost back baby now ben the issue for me here as a lakers fan is that lebron is probably going to want to take some december games off until january comes just to get some more rest in i'm totally fine with that um, he should play the Christmas game. He should play the December 22nd, 23rd game if it's going to be national. But then he should probably take some weeks off and uh, make sure he, make he sure needs he, to just treat this like late career Andre the Giant and only show up for WrestleMania. He needs to start thinking about the potential three-peat that's going to happen in Los Angeles, Ben. And he needs to, he needs to get his rest. That- they're going to put a king-size bed on the bench in Staples Center. And just it's just going to be LeBron in a little nightcap. I, I see what you did there. King king-size bed. I like that. That was yeah, there's a reason I didn't go queen. Yeah. And well, I guess I don't think LeBron can fit on a king-size bed, so Is there a, is there a name for the bed for NBA players? Because like I know I know what the ones that like get wider are, but I don't know what the ones that get longer are called. All things lead back to the election. I can't even focus on talking about the NBA without thinking about the election. But so just so we're clear here, if Biden wins Pennsylvania, which he's up by thirteen thousand, he just took over the lead by Trump overnight. If he wins that, it's over. If he wins Georgia, then the best Trump can do is just get to a tie where the House of Representatives would then vote for the president. Oh, if Biden wins Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. But then if it's a a tie, Trump wins. A tie? What what do you mean? Uh, Because if it's a tie, then it will go. So I I think the way that a tie works is it will go to the states each get one vote. And Trump yeah, so states. the delegations of each state would get one vote, but then the Republicans are leading by delegation. So, but then 
it would be the new Congress that votes, so not the previous Congress. So we don't know yet. It's not looking good for Democrats that they, as they thought it would look. But anyways, it the, it's it's unlikely. It hasn't happened since 1876, according to CNN, Ben, where really? a House of Reps would vote for the president. But Biden, if he wins Arizona or Nevada, he wins. He doesn't need Pennsylvania, Georgia. Um. If Biden wins Georgia, that means he can afford to lose Arizona or Nevada and still win. I refreshed my Twitter um, feed but and I it's saw my that poli sci professor. He's an expert on like the American presidency. Like he just loves studying the history of presidents and just to mm-hmm. see like how things were during each administration. So he tweeted that it's most likely the Trump campaign is going to switch focus from the election to like giving out pardons to make sure like any liabilities will be taken care of when Trump is a citizen again. Um, he thinks that we're going to see that, that change in, within the next couple of days when they really see like, there's no way they're going to win this election. I think that's what a person who is informed about the presidency would do. I think the president is going to be watching a lot of television for the next month and tweeting. And, you know, maybe at some point he'll get around to figuring out how pardons work. Because I think right now Trump probably thinks you can just pardon anything and doesn't understand the federal state court split. But the president can pardon federal crimes in perpetuity going forward. So I'm sure, I'm sure they'll just have a massive list of everybody that's worked there and just pardon for all future crimes. Because I think you can just issue a pardon on a napkin. Like, that's not a very complicated procedure. The press conference that happened yesterday from, from Trump wasn't a surprise. Oh, man, he looks so defeated. Like, not, nothing has said he thinks he might lose more than calling Joe Biden Mr. Biden. Like, that's loser talk from him. Like, he couldn't even go Sleepy Joe or, you know, China Joe. I just, I just turn it off when I hear him speak. I can't, I can't listen. By the way, I'm adjusting my, I'm adjusting the Adam Doe metric for possible presidency. Um, First, first test is you have to be able to say 10 sentences, 10 full sentences about anything. That's like the first standard that you have to pass. I mean, it's a high bar. As far as best I can tell, uh, the person I voted for, Biden, he can do these things. He can give 10 What's full the, sentences. You know, I, I, I believe in my heart of hearts that Joe Biden has read at least one book in the last year. You we know, can I mean, say I, that. I think we should start giving presidents like accelerated reader tests. I think that's where it's calling for you, Ben. And oh, yeah. No, it, it's, it's excited. I think it's calling for this podcast to be over as well. Thanks, Ben, for coming on. Thank you, Adam.